All right. Have we swapped some interesting stories? Made some new friends or learned some new things about friends we already knew? My name is Ellie Roth. I grew up in this church. I'm currently part of the College Young Adult Fellowship. Um, and when I'm not all the way at Wheaton College for school, I also work here, uh, most recently with the uh, communications and community outreach departments. And I'm here to read our scripture for this morning, which is a selection from Romans 3, 5, and 8. So if you'll stand for the reading of God's word. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came through Jesus Christ. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us, for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he gave this destiny that they be conformed to the image of his son. This is the word of God. Thank you, Ellie, and welcome home. Welcome home. And to all the students who were involved in the service throughout uh, last night and today, I'm so grateful. Uh, I even thought that Sailor and... Um, and Glory have been here all three times, so they've heard this message more than they want to hear it. So... Here's what we're going to do today. We're going to begin a new series of messages from Romans chapter 5 through 8, and I'm calling it Made New, Made New. And it is based upon the things we've been doing, if, you, if you're new to us, in the book of Genesis. In, in fact, do you remember last week I took us from the very beginning, the Garden of Eden, where things were right and then went wrong. I took us all the way to the end, to Revelation 22, where in a garden city, Everything will be made right. Well, what happens in Romans 5 through 8 is, is the Apostle Paul teaches us how God is going to take us from where we are, because we're not yet perfect, right, actually to where we will be. He is going to make everything right. That's what the God, the God's Word declares to us. And I'll just tell you today that everything 
includes you. So when there are things wrong in the world around you and things wrong in your family and all those things, God says, I'm going to make it all new. And Romans 5 through 8 is going to walk us through that whole thing. So you need to be here every week. But I'll tell you what I'm going to do this week. Um, I want to first uh, take us back to what God promises that he's going to do in us because the Apostle Paul does that. At the end of this section, Romans chapter 8, he walks us through that. And I'm calling it what God will do. Now, let me just tell you, Paul also says in Philippians 1.6 that what God starts in us, he will bring it to completion. He's going to finish what he started, so that's a hallelujah. Then second today, I want us to look at what God has already done, and that'll pull us back to Romans 1 through 4, and then we're going to home in on where it begins. Today's uh, passage, Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 2, in which we're just going to ask this question, Lord, how do you actually start right now? with what you want to bring to completion in my life. So let's, let's start with that, what God will do. And there are just two phrases in what Ellie read to us. They're both in chapter 8 of Romans. The first one is this, God will conform you to the image of his son. And then while he's doing that work, at the end of chapter 8, he says, nothing is going to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord as I'm going from where you are now to where you're going to be. So let's start with that first point, what God will do. He'll conform you to the image of Christ, and while he's doing it, nothing is going to separate you from the love of God. So he does here at the end of Romans 8 what, what I've been trying to do at the beginning of this message. He takes us to the very end, when the world is not going to be messed up by sin, nor will our lives be. And in fact, if you read through Romans 8, and I really encourage you to do this, the Apostle Paul just walks us through what God is going to make new. He says all creation that's been affected by our sin, uh, we know the damage that's been done, the, the pollution is there, the, all the things that are happening in our world, he's going to make it all new. And said, in fact, he says everything God created in the first five and a half days of creation, God is going to make right. And, and the phrase that he uses, he's going to liberate it from the bondage of decay. But then he goes on in verse 23 to say, it's not just the rest of the world that's going to be made right. It's all human beings too, including those of us who have Jesus Christ in our lives. And this is what he says. Just as all creation groans for things to be made right, we groan too inwardly as we wait eagerly for our redemption. You know, for our lives to be right, including that of our bodies. And I'm just telling you, <clears throat> the older I get, the more I groan for things to be made right. <laughs> Any fellow, well, you don't have to vote. You don't have to vote. Fellow groaners who are here. Because he says, in this hope we were saved. Uh, that things won't stay the way they are. That they will be made right. Um, then in, in verse 28, he gives us this great promise. And I want to show it to you. I think I have it on a slide for you too. So that in this world when it's still not perfect, still God is here. In all things, God is at work. In all things, God is working for the good of those who love him. In all things, God is working uh, for the, uh, out his good purpose for all of those who are called according to his purpose. And what is that good purpose that God wants to do in your life? I'll show you a great verse. Verse 29, those whom God foreknew, and that's everyone, he knew you before you were created. 
He also gave this promised destiny that when he's done, you're going to be conformed to the image of his son. When you read through the Gospels and you see the beauty of Jesus that we've just sung about, there's going to be many, those qualities of Jesus that are going to be seen in us. It's just amazing when I think about it. Now, that's what God, what God promises to do. I thought, as I've been talking this long to you, I wondered if you'd still be with me. And then I thought, how can I illustrate this in a way that you won't forget it? And so Carol Kenyon, who was one of our children's pastors here, said, here's a good idea, and I think it is. She told me about a clip of an animated movie. Well, I won't tell you about it. I don't want to spoil it if you don't know it, but you'll, I'm going to anyway. So just watch this, and then I'll come right back. I can't watch that without thinking of the first time I saw it with my daughter, Heather, when she was a little girl. She looked up to me and said, Dad, I liked him better as a beast. Anyway. <clears throat> now, I'll tell you, that is not a perfect illustration of what God is going to do in our lives, but it's an awfully good one, I'm telling you. For these reasons, I mean, this young man, this prince who had everything going for him, just like Adam and Eve did in Genesis chapter 2, then, because of his selfishness and his arrogance, uh, gave it all up. It, it's just, just like uh, Adam and Eve. Instead of wanting to be, just be in the image of God, they wanted to be God, have control of everything. Also, uh, the consequences of this young man's arrogance and his sin affected not just him, but the curse affected everything. So if you've seen the movie, the woods were affected. You saw it up here. There was a candlestick and a clock and even a teapot, all of them affected longing for things to be made right. Excuse me, maybe I can, I don't know if this will help. <clears throat> I need to have a button that I can push so I can really try to clear my throat. <clears throat> How good a listeners are you? <laughs> so we'll go, I'll leave this up here, Lynn, and we'll see what we can do. Uh, and the, the, 
The, the, uh, the way that his transformation took place was a miraculous thing that was wrought out of love. So in all those ways, this is a great illustration. Now, I know it's imperfect for theologians who come. I know that it wasn't just love that transformed him. Jesus actually had to bear the punishment for our sins. I know that. And the other thing that really hits me about this, his transformation from being a beast to being a prince again, it was awfully fast, like less than a minute. Wouldn't you like that to happen now? <laughs> But wouldn't you like God to complete his work in you and me now? But at least this, throughout this entire series, maybe you'll remember this illustration to simply know the wonderful work that God wants to do in you and that he promises he will do in you so that whenever you leave church and, you, and again you face the reality of temptation, which you will, and, and whenever you endure the ravages of, of anxiety or doubt or depression, which you will, and whenever you experience the evils of injustice that sin in this world has brought about, sometimes it affects you and it affects so many people in our world, you'll remember that God knows what he's doing. He works in all things to take us from where we are and our world from where it is, and eventually we'll make all things new. He'll keep his promise. That's what God's going to do. Amen. Now, let's, let's pull back again what God has done. He's already started this work. And if you have your Bible in front of you, chapter 5, verse 1, has this marvelous phrase. Since we have been justified by faith. See, that word since points us back to the first four chapters of the book of Romans, in which Paul essentially says to us, there's nothing about anything in this world right now that's perfectly right. There's no one who has perfectly done what is right. Regardless of whether you're young or old, uh, how did Sailor put it, um, uh, students or adults or, uh, in the early service, elders or seniors, I knew where I was. I was in the old, no matter where we are in all of that, uh, we have fallen short so that he ends with places like Romans 3.10 and just declares, so there is no one, not one, who is right before God. So I'll tell you, when you come to chapter 3, verse 20, it just feels hopeless, we might try to live well, but we just can't do what God would have us to do. Have you ever felt that? But the hope then is offered in chapter 3, verse 21, where it's with this wonderful phrase, Paul writes, but now, but now, a way for our lives to be perfectly right before God has been made known. It is God's gift to us. Many of you have memorized these verses. Let me show them to you or read them to you again. All have sinned, all and falls short of the glory of God. But all now are justified freely by God's grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. That, that is a hallelujah part, Well, that, that really is. And then he ends chapter four with this. How did it happen? Jesus was delivered over to death for our sins. And then he was raised to life for our justification, a word that means to make everything just, everything right. Now, <clears throat> if you read through the book of Romans, which I hope we will do, all of us as a church through this year, um, you read the first four chapters, and many people tell me, uh, Pastor Greg, that is just such heavy theology, it's tedious to work through it, and I can't understand it. And I just tell you, it's real to life. It is real to life. Can I boil down for you what, what goes on there? God tells us the bad news. We need to know that, don't we? 
the bad news about what's happened in our world, the bad news about our own lives, things that need to be changed. But then he tells us the good news about the fact that in spite of the sin that God knows all about in our lives, that God still loves you. He still loves you. And he tells you what God has done out of that love for you and me to to make a new life available to us. And then he tells us the surprising news that when we receive the gift that God gives us, we don't have to keep going on sort of earning God's favor. Oh no, I messed up again. God won't receive me again. No, what God wants us to do is like a little child receive a gift of cleansing, forgiveness, and a new beginning. Jesus is the only one who can do that for us. He is the only one who lived the perfect life God would have us to live. I, I make this point so often, don't I? He alone lived the life that every one of us should be living, but we can't live for some reason. We keep falling short, amen? But he lived that way, the right way. And then, though the wages of sin is death, he was willing to die the death that you and I deserve, but he does it in our place and for our sins so that we are set free from the punishment of sin and have the beginning of a new life in Christ. That's what God has done for us since we have been justified through faith in Jesus. Have you been? Have you been? Have you placed your faith in Jesus? If not, isn't today the day that that you should enter in and say, as much as I understand, Lord, here's my life. You really want these sins? He said, I'll take them and cast them away. Here's my life. I will follow you. That's what God has done. Now, now the question that we're going to be wrestling with for weeks, how does God actually accomplish this work in us? And I'm just going to tell you where it starts. Really, every day of your life, it starts here. We have peace with God, second part of verse 1 and then verse 2. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which you and I now stand. What I want you to focus on in that verse is that word access. Access that comes through faith in Jesus that brings you the peace of God. Access, it's a wonderful word of welcome. It's usually a word that we say whenever there's something we feel like we really need. Um, access. Uh, maybe this illustration you'll understand. Maybe you bought a, a, an item at a department store and it's not working. And so you go back to the department store and uh, you have to get sometimes in that long customer service line. Now, just so you can experience here on a Sunday morning what I'm talking about, I have a picture f- to show you up there. Um, that, that lady at the very back, she looks like she's been there a while, do you think? <clears throat> So I don't know if your experience has been this, but often you go through that long, long line. You get up to the front. Finally, you think I've got access to the person who can help me with this problem. And then that person says, well, you know, that particular item, I don't deal with that. You've got to go over to that desk and fill out all these forms. And then that other line over there, which was twice as long as the first one, you've got to go over there and stand in that. What do you feel inside? You don't feel peace. It's access to what you feel like you need at the time and you just don't feel like you can gain that access. Now, I have found that usually that notion of access is it's something I need to, that I feel like, at least at the time, I desperately need for whatever reason. And I just can't 
get through the door. I, I can't, it seems locked to me. I can't quite get there. Like what? Well, I hate to tell you this illustration, but a few weeks ago, when I was back at Wheaton, Illinois, uh, for a board meeting at the college, I was really busy. <clears throat> and I knew I had a lot of work to do here at the, at the church. And I thought, oh, when I fly back again, I'll have four hours on the plane to be able to get all this work done. So I called up the airline. I said, which flight has in-air access to Wi-Fi? And they told me. And I took the flight I didn't want to take because of that. <clears throat> so I was getting ready to do all my work, had the computer ready to go. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then the, oh boy, I'm having a, there's no more of this. <clears throat> I think as I said once, maybe I need something stronger. I don't know. Uh, <clears throat> though I have no idea what that would be. Okay. <clears throat> So the purser comes on, you know, the chief flight attendant, and announces, we're sorry to announce to you today that we will have no access to Wi-Fi. Inside, that's what I wanted to say. Oh, no, not that. I, this is a first world problem, I know. I desperately need it. How am I going to get work done for the church? How will I have a sermon ready for the church? Oh, no, how could that possibly be? I, I just want you to know the word access is usually used for there's, when there's something we feel like we really need. And that's the way the Bible uses it too. What I want to say in the beginning of this work that God is doing in your life, the single greatest need that you have every day of your life is access to God. Amen. There's no way for you and me to live the way God has made us to live in our own strength. So we need it. It starts when you see, receive Jesus as your savior, but every day of our lives, we need to wake up in the morning and recognize that God is there with us. And what happens when God comes into our lives when we actually have access to him and are being guided by his power and his presence then, then Paul says you have peace with God. Um, the way we use peace in our world, the way Paul used it in the, in the scriptures, are quite a bit different. I mean, we usually think of peace as what? Absence of war? Maybe a moment of peace and quiet. Oh, I've got to get away from this family now. Like, we think that way. But for Paul as a Jewish man, it was such a rich term. Uh, their word, you know it, was Shalom. It means everything in this entire universe being right. It's what they believed that when Messiah would come, Messiah would begin an era of shalom and justice that would reign. And you see what Paul is saying. It's what I've been preaching to you about. What you and I long for, we've been made for. Peace, shalom, with, with our families being right and our marriages being right, things with our friends at school being right. All those things that we long for, it begins with access to God, that we trust him in the midst of whatever happens in this world. Because brothers and sisters, you and I are human beings. We are made in the image of God. We are made to have God at the center of our lives. But in Genesis 3, that we've been studying all these weeks, at the very end, after Adam and Eve had sinned, well, I think I have the verse there that I'll cite for you and show to you. After that sin, God placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. In other words, no access anymore to the very thing they most need. And what I'm telling you right now is where your new life begins 
Every day, really, is by claiming and living in the light of that access that faith in Jesus gives to you. Uh, Do you see what I'm getting at here? Jesus died on the cross so that the, the punishment you and I deserve was taken away from us and put onto him. Therefore, you and I can enter into the presence of a holy God and we do it with confidence and with boldness. We even get to know him as Abba, as our Father, the maker of the universe. And that is what we most need in order to begin to live that life to the full. The early church rejoiced in this message that they had access to God and they applied it to their own lives and also as they would leave worship, they applied it in a way that I want you to think about as well. What they said is this, we have gained access to God, the thing every human being needs more than anything else. In spite of our sin, Simply out of God's love, we have received access. So we as his representatives, when we go out into the world, whoever God brings across our paths, we are going to talk to them about access to God. And we're going to give them access also to the hope and the love and the resources that God has provided us with. This was really hard for the early Christians. Uh, Do you realize that the emperors... From Paul's day, from 64 on, two and a half centuries, the emperors were anti-Christian. They persecuted Christians terribly. Many, many were put to death. So it would have been hard for them. And I think we might have the tendency in, in a world like that to try to hide so that they couldn't get to us. But the early Christians didn't do that. Because in Rome, because this is a letter to the Romans, and in other parts of the Roman Empire, other people we're going through terrible persecution as well. And God's people felt like we have the message to give them that there is still hope. So this is what they did. Whenever the plagues hit the city of Rome and the government gave the families the the freedom, they set them free to throw their dying family members out into the streets. Do you know what Christians did? Do Do you know what Christians did? They, they went out into the streets and took the people out of the streets and brought them back to their own homes, gave them access to a new father through their faith, gave them access to the family of faith through providing resources for them to, to live. Whenever slaves were saying, we can't live like this anymore, and then they would break away from their homes, and then they would really be isolated and aliens within the city of Rome. Do you know what Christians did? when there were these tens of thousands of people with no place of belonging, they went to them and witnessed to them so that they could know God as Father and they brought them into the life of the church so that they would not be alone. You can read about these stories. I put two books up here, especially the first one, because uh, I don't have time to tell all of them to you. But the one is Rodney Stark's The Rise of Christianity. And I love the subtitle. How the Obscure Jesus Movement Became the Dominant Religious Force in a Few Centuries. Actually, Rodney Stark, who's a Berkeley grad and was teaching at the University of Washington, became a Christian as he read the stories of how Christ had changed the lives of those around him, of them. It's a great thing. And another book that I think is really helpful, especially where we, kind of like Rome, are often so polarized as the world is, John Inazu's new book, Confident Pluralism. I don't like that title, but I love the subtitle. Surviving and thriving 
through deep difference. See, the, the, the Christians were as diverse in their viewpoints in the first century as, as you and I are. And yet, what drew them together is we don't deserve what God has done for us and we have found it. How do I usually put on what I preach to every one of us who comes to Lake Avenue Church? We desperately need the mercy of God. Any amens? <laughs> not, not as much as I thought it would be. We desperately, all of us, each and every one of us needs the mercy of God. But hallelujah, you and I who have come here, we worship and sing today because we found the mercy of God through faith in Jesus. We have been given access to the Father and our lives can begin to be different. So whenever we leave church, that's what we should do as our brothers and sisters before us have done. When there are people who are in our city for whatever reason, the government may have to do one thing, but for the church, anybody that God brings across your path is a divine appointment. Amen. And you give witness to access to God through faith in Jesus. And if, if we will be what God would have us to be, we actually provide the hope, compassion, and justice of Jesus as a church family being planted in this city at this time. When the early church had a hard time getting along, I'll ask you again, do you know what they did? They did what Jesus commanded them to do. They did what we're going to do. They stopped and shared communion with one another. They, they stopped and remembered what it took to give us access to God. It took the precious blood of Jesus. It, shed, it took the, the body of Jesus broken for us so that we could be rescued. So that once they remembered that, it humbled them. It, does it humble you to think what I take here is necessary because I can't do it myself? And therefore in humility, but in the power of God, we go out into our world to say there is a new way, a better way that is going to end with all things being right. I'm going to ask my brother, uh, Chuck Hunt. Chuck, I'm so thankful that God sent you to our church. He's going to come and lead us in this communion time. As Chuck comes up, let me just remind you of the three points so you won't miss them today. I want you to remember what God will do. He loves you so much he's going to make everything right in your life. I want you to remember what God has done. He loves you so much that he sent us one and only son who gave his life in your place so that you can be forgiven. And number three, I want to tell you where it begins each day that you wonder, how can I break from these patterns? How can I find hope in the midst of this discouragement? Where does it come from? You need access to God each day. Uh, remembering those things. Chuck, lead us to the cross, which didn't destroy our Lord. He defeated by a resurrection, which gives us hope.